day today, and isn't it great to be able to assemble here? We'll be praying and singing together and then studying from God's Word. I have a list of six, six people that I would like for you to remember in your prayers. Irene Baker, who's Melinda Hester's mother, she has cancer. She's been very sick of late. Joanne Roberts is doing better. She's walking, and we're thankful for her continued recovery. Laura Galloway's dad, John Dryden's very sick with cancer. John Gardner's mother's been very sick of late. And Roger Griffin. Anybody have an update about Roger? Okay. Evelyn Floyd, also recovering from surgery. Juanelle Thompson had a pacemaker recently. She's doing great. She was at our lunch uh, yesterday. Jamie Hutchins, he's here. Don't slap him on the back when you see him. <laughs> he had shoulder surgery, uh, but he's doing great and we're very thankful for that. Ronnie Johnson is recovering from uh, about with his toe. He's sitting right there. So I'm guessing you're doing much better and we're thankful for that. Um, Harold Eaton had shoulder surgery. He's been in a lot of pain from that. So let's pray that he'll recover and do well. Sandy Bonham is seriously ill with cancer. I believe that they have determined she can have surgery. They're going to try to go that route. So please remember them in that endeavor. Jamie Warner has staph infection. Is that any better? He's better. Okay. Well, we're glad to hear that. David Yates is able to stand and walk and he's making some progress. He's been in our prayers for a long time and we're very thankful to see progress for him. Larry Lambert, who is Dale Kendrick's brother-in-law, he, he had four back fractures that were close to his spinal cord due to a four-wheeler accident. He can't have back surgery until I think maybe Monday or so uh, because of other medication that he's been on. He's in a lot of pain, so please keep Larry Lambert in your prayers. Sue Glenn's son, Craig, was admitted to Magnolia Hospital in Corinth. He's got elevated creatinine levels. Uh, he's been off of dialysis for a while, but as those levels creep up, he may have to start that again. So just, just pray that everything's going to go well with him. Maybe he can avoid some of that. Sue Jones, who is Luther Mormon's sister, is very sick and in the hospital right now. Please remember her. And Dale Kendrick is sick tonight. He got his second vaccination shot and it's <laughs> made him sick. So not funny. It's ironic, I guess. But let's, let's remember Dale as well. D do you have anybody else that you want to put on this list? Hey, sorry it's so long, but they're sick people. And we love them, don't we? Yes, we do. So we're going to pray about them. Okay, we're going to pray about them in just a moment. Let's sing a song together. After that, we'll have our prayer and then we'll begin our Bible study. Number 567, 567. Restore my spirit, Lord, I need restore. My heart is weary, please help me to Lord. I stand in here most from the word. 
study together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful to you for a great day today, and we're thankful for this opportunity that we have to assemble and to study and have this portion of worship and devotion. We just pray, Lord, that you'll accept these things from us as we're striving to please you in every way. We thank you for those who are present here even tonight who have recovered from surgery and injuries and we're praying for their continued blessing. We pray for Joanne, who's, who's able to walk in here. And she was, she was afflicted for a long time, but we're thankful that she's on the road to recovery. We're thankful that Jamie's here tonight, too, and that he's making some progress. And it's great that Ronnie is able to be out and about the things he's desiring to do. We just pray, Lord, that in each case, You'll continue to bless them in their recovery. Please be with Irene Baker as she's uh, suffering with cancer. We pray for Laura Galloway's dad as he's receiving some treatments. Bless John Gardner's mother who's not doing well and Roger Griffin. We pray for Evelyn Floyd in her recovery and, and Wynell Thompson. We're, we're thankful that Wynell's doing so much better. We pray, Lord, that you'll be with Harold Eaton as he's been struggling in his recovery, we, we pray that you'll give him relief from his pain and that as he begins therapy, that that will go well. We pray, Father, for Sandy Bonham, and it is our earnest desire that she be able to, if she has the surgery, to go through that and to recover. We just pray, Lord, your blessings on that family. We ask your continued blessings on David Yates as he's been sick for so long, and we pray that his progress is gonna be sustained. We ask your blessings on Larry Lambert as he's recovering from his injuries. And Lord, we pray that you'll give him endurance through this difficult period as he awaits surgery. And then as he has the surgery, we pray there are no complications and that he'll recover and do well. We pray for Craig Glenn who's been sick and has been sick for a long time, but has now had an escalation of that. And we just pray that he'll get the kind of treatment he needs to be successful in, in getting better. Please bless Sue Jones, who's very sick in the hospital right now. And we pray comfort for her and her family. And we pray for Dale, who's sick uh, as a result of uh, the the vaccination and Lord we pray that that will be short-lived that he'll get well quickly and uh, that he'll be back with us very soon we pray Lord that you'll bless us in our study tonight and 
Help us, Lord, that we will live a life of giving, that we will reflect in every way the giving spirit of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, a life of giving. Tonight, we're going to revisit a text that I've mentioned several different times. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And verse 7, now a little bit later, if time permits, we'll be revisiting this chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 8 because it stands really as a testament to us of what a life of living is all about. But in this particular verse, Paul encourages those brethren by saying that they were to see that they abound in this grace also. Now, previously in the text, he had mentioned several different graces that you would recognize, things like faith. But here's something that he mentions that's a little bit unusual, maybe. Something that if we were listing what we considered to be graces, that is things that we have received from God or that we're in partnership with God. We're growing in it. In fact, you know, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, we're adding graces to our faith. Add your faith, virtue to virtue, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness, love. All those things considered graces, but certainly that's not the extent of it, because right here he says, hey, make sure you grow in this one too. The grace of giving. What does it mean to abound in something? Pardon? Okay, a bunch of it. Yeah. Um, what? Overflow, excel, go beyond. That's, that's kind of the idea. Yeah. Okay, right. Uh, that's a good illustration. When you go fishing, where do you want to go? You want to go where the fish are abounding, Right. I don't want to catch one. I want to catch a bunch. I want to go over uh, the limit. I want to excel in this. It could have been translated by the word super abound. Maybe that would have given us more of a clue. It's just the idea that it is overflowing. He says, you see that you abound, you overflow in this grace also. Now, in this context, what he's talking about is the liberal attitude of giving, not just giving to meet a need, cutting it off when we think that it's satisfied, but going beyond, going above, exceeding what is considered to be the maximum, letting it overflow. That's a beautiful concept. He refers to it as a grace. So it really fits the idea of our stewardship as we're receiving something from God and then we become responsible for it. But for using it, right? And so I've tried to use the example of being like a conduit, a thing through which another thing flows. So the gift is coming from God, but we're not just hanging on to it. We're using that in order to bestow a grace or a gift on someone who is in need. Now, here's the thing about us. If we are going to be the people in this generation who spread the gospel to the whole world. If we're going to be the people who grow 
and also grow a great church here in Boonville, if we're going to be the people who grow in the image of Jesus Christ, then among a lot of other things that are of major concern is the abounding in this grace. And I don't know of anybody who abounded in the matter of giving more than the very one whose name we're trying to take, and that is Jesus. Now, if we could give like Jesus gave, we would be superabounding for sure. To give like Jesus gives means that we give it all. Jesus gave all for the church. He gave himself to die for her. It just so happens that when we obeyed the gospel, the Lord added us to the church. Okay, Acts 2 verse 47. So we, as the church, having benefited from the gift of Jesus' life itself, I mean the giving of all that he could possibly ever give, then we in turn ought to be motivated the same way. When needs exist, when we are striving in the spread of the gospel, we're striving to grow and advance a church in Boonville, as we are striving to take on the image of Christ, that we're going to give our all as well. I want to start tonight by thinking with you about several truths related to giving. Now, this has been a long series of lessons regarding stewardship and giving. And I don't expect that as we go through every lesson, you're going to remember every point that's been made. But there are some texts that always come to mind. I want to, if, if this happens, I want us to refresh some of those things to understand just how important the idea of giving is. So if you hear some texts that we have studied before, great. I hope that you will recognize them because these are the texts that we're going to lean on as we're going forward. When we're reminded of the gifts that Jesus has given, the ultimate gift of himself, then we'll also be reminded of what's necessary in our own lives. I would remind you, as it ought to be true right now, certainly it was true in the New Testament, that the New Testament church was absolutely a giving church. Now, when I say that the church was giving, I'll give you some examples of that. I'm going to need some volunteers. One text would be Acts chapter 2 and verse 45. Look at there, it's just one verse of scripture. Acts 2 verse 45. Who will read that text? And read it loudly and with authority so that we all can hear it and enjoy it. Who will read that? Going once, going twice. We got many more. Okay, JT. Who is that way? Is that you, guy, way back there? Okay. Hey, guy, will you read chapter 4 of Acts, verses 32 to 37? Okay. Now you got a bigger one. And then that text that I told you, I'm going to go with Jeremy here because if we had the hat, we would put the hat on Jeremy. Remember, we talked about the big hat last time. He came up to me before class. He said, There actually is such a hat that exists. So we need to find it. <laughs> but if you, Jeremy, will read the text that I referenced before, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Those texts are going to remind us 
of what the church was involved in in terms of giving, okay? All right, uh, JT, Acts 2, verse 45. And so they possessed goods and divided them among as anyone had need. Okay, so here's the church. They've become one. There are stranded individuals because they came to Jerusalem. Many were just going to, you know, spend the time for Pentecost and then go back home. But now they've obeyed the gospel. They want to spend time hearing the apostles' doctrine. But as they are there and they have become one, what are they, what are they sharing? Sharing everything, right, because they're brothers and sisters. They're in this together. It is not communism. It isn't, okay, we're going to share everything equally. Everybody will have the same size bank account and same amount of property and whatever. It's not like that. There were needs that existed. When those needs existed were identified, brothers and sisters in Christ recognized the blessings that had come into their life. And now what are they doing? They're doing the thing we're going to try to do, right? They're, they're letting those blessings flow into the hands, into the lives of those people, their brethren who were in need. That's a great text. Now let's expand to that idea. And Guy's going to read for us a text that we looked at last week, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 37. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked, for all who were possessors of land or houses sold them, and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet, and then distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas, Barnabas by the apostles, and his translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, thank you very much, Guy. Now, last week what we did was we saw a contrast between what Barnabas was doing here in this text and what happened with Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. But tonight, I just want us to center in on this idea. There were needs that existed, and when those needs existed, what did the brethren do? They met, they met the needs. And one example, according to this text, is Barnabas. There was a need that existed. He sold some land. He took the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Why did he do that? Why didn't he just distribute it himself? Okay, yeah, the apostles are the leaders. They know the needs that exist. Okay, and, that, and that's another good point that we could have drawn out last week. Barnabas, whose, whose credit is he looking to get here? God's. God's credit. He's not looking for credit himself. He's like, look, you, you take this. You do as you see the need. Now, who's going to get the glory for that? Well, when that's distributed, nobody knows where that came from. They just know that the church, God to God be the glory. You know, the church is, is benefiting from the encouragement and the blessing that it's given. And so again, the idea of that just flowing. And another thing, okay, needs existed. However, what was the primary concern for these Christians at this time? What is it they really need? 
Okay, they, they needed food and housing. And, and what I'm getting at is they also, what, what were the apostles doing at the time? Okay, they're, they're teaching. They're teaching. They are distributing the word. And here's the idea. We don't want the people so concerned about their physical welfare that they miss out on the spiritual feast that's taking place right here. Now, the number one concern, I believe, is not feeding the masses. The number one concern is saving souls, making sure that the word of God is heard and distributed to everybody who needs it. But in order that that can take place, we've got to also care for what? People who are hungry, right? And so those were working together. It wasn't just like someone, some people have referred to it as a social gospel in the sense that we'll just do good and help people. Look, I'm all for doing good and helping people. Is that not biblical? Nod your head this way. Of course it is. That's all we've been talking about. However, is that the primary thing? Is that what Jesus came to do to heal the sick? Uh, well, yeah, but the agenda that Jesus had was to come and to seek and save that which was lost. Now, if seeking and saving people can be expedited by seeing to their needs, because to be honest with you, if I'm starving to death, it's very hard for me to focus and listen to what you have to say. Yes or no? Yes, it is. So, Yes, it, it, is, it is important to see to the needs of those who have needs. However, that should not be our entire focus. That should be a means to an end, and our ultimate end or desire should be what? To see that a soul is saved, to see the spiritual uh, benefit. Okay, and now the guy with the imaginary hat on. Uh, if you will please, and this is a, a key text for us, Second Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed and overflowed in a wealth of generosity and miracles. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, beyond their means. They're on court, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, that they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we are Titus, that as he, as he had started, so he could complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. Okay. How? He says, look, I, you know what? I'm not laying down the law here. I'm just using it as an example of love. What will love motivate us to do? He says, case in point, look at those Macedonian brethren. They were in excessive poverty. But how would you describe their giving? Abundant or liberal, excessive, right? Don't you love the way these things are described? I, I do. Excess in poverty 
results in an excess in liberality. Now, what is it that causes a group of people to believe they can give more than they ever imagined when they are in these depths of poverty? Okay, exactly right. It comes down to that grace of faith. Yes, please let us help because we want to be involved in this ministry. We want to see other people help. Wait, aren't you in need of help? Now we used, there's another illustration, right? Remember Mark 12, 41 to 44? that describes a certain widow. Is she, is, is this, are the Macedonians not the embodiment of what the widow expressed? I want to help so much that I'm going to give my entire livelihood. I don't even have stuff back held up at home. I'm giving all that I got so that I can help somebody I don't even know to be able to survive, to care for them. And what is it? Just, just take all of the all of the, the, the levels of the onion away, and what you finally get to, the very core of that, is I love you so much. You say, but you didn't even know those people. Well, that's the thing. We love them because who loves them? Because God loves them. And so since God loves them, I love them, and I'm willing, I'm allowing, as a steward of God, the blessings that have come to me to go where? Right out there. Using what God has blessed us. The New Testament church was a giving church. They were, they were abounding, super abounding in this grace of liberal giving. Now, you know a second idea, a truth about giving, that giving is a grace according to that same text, uh, verse 7, that Jeremy read there just a moment ago. See that you abound in this grace also. Yeah, there are a lot of things you should be concerned about. But don't forget this one. You know, this, this one is as tangible a thing as there can be. You can see this thing at work. So don't forget, you know, giving isn't just something I do or I feel compelled to do. Giving is something that is motivated out of a heart of love for others. God loves them, so I love them. And my ultimate desire in, in, this, in this giving is to see a soul saved. It isn't just, okay, I've done it, that's it, at the end. But we want this to become a mechanism by which someone comes to know, comes to know the truth, comes to know Jesus. But this is also a command. You know, this is something that we are prompted to do. Uh, someone read... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. And when you see this, you're going to recognize it immediately. Just about every Sunday at the nursing home, when we have the service, we do the Lord's Supper. And JT quotes these two verses. I guess it's been every Sunday so far. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Who will read that? Or you can quote it if you want to. 
saints as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, and he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Okay. A need exists. I am imploring you, I am directing you to give. You say, well, Ken, that, you know, that, that's taken all the joy out of it. S stop right there. Who are these people to start with? Uh, for instance, Christians. What is my motivation already? Out of love, I'm going to, I I'm going to do it. This is creating an orderly means by which those collections can be gathered. Yes, no. Yes. I mean, it's, it's similar to what was happening with Barnabas as he took that money and he did what? He laid it at the apostles' feet. Well, question, uh, when would it be convenient for me to do that? We have a great answer already, right? Here's what you do. Hang on to it until when? The first day of the week. Why would you wait until the first day of the week? Well, because, well, yes, we were told to, but what are, what are we doing on the first day of the week, every week that has the first day? We're gathering together. Doesn't it seem reasonable that a giving people would contribute that on the first day of the week? Because that's when we're gathering. Yes? Nod your head this way. Yeah, of course. Okay, remembering, and this would be a, a fourth thing on our list, remembering that you and I are stewards. Now, the text that we use, and I think this was the very first lesson, was from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I think we maybe even had a couple of different lessons out of that text. So at least I believe it's pretty significant, but it defines for us, again, the heart that we have and kind of the mechanism that God is sharing the blessings that He put in, puts in our hands with others. 1 Corinthians Exactly. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. A steward's found faithful, verse 2. But what, what do verses 1 and 2 say? Anybody have that text? Okay. Yes. Go right ahead, Rick. Boom it out there. Let a man so count of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I'm a minister. What do I do? A minister. Starts with an S, ends with an S, and has a herb in it. Serves, a minister serves. So, service, and then a steward. Oh, wait, what does a steward do? It's caretaker. So, we're stewards of the mysteries of God. We're going to receive from God, and then out it goes. Yes? So, we don't own it. But we possess it for a time. We possess it for a reason so that it can continue to go. Now, it is important to be found in stewards that one be found faithful. Absolutely it does. If I'm a faithful steward, what does that mean about me? I'm a good manager. Who can count on me? Question mark. Everybody, but the one, I, the one who really needs to count on me is the one I serve. I'm God's steward. 
If I'm a faithful steward, that means God can count on me. And here's the thing that I've noticed about God in the scriptures. This could be a whole series all by itself. If God can count on me, you know what he will continue to do? He will continue to use me. And I dare you to do this if you have the courage. You know, tonight when you pray, ask God to use you in some great way. And then you will see things happen. Now, if, if you're not sincere about it, don't do it. But if you're sincere, God put me to work. You want to you wanna get down there with Isaiah and say, Lord, here am I, send me. I'm telling you, God will do exactly that. But so here I am, a steward. Lord, give me opportunity, duh, and God will do it. If you're faithful, he'll keep using you. If you are not faithful, what you think he will do? He, he, I don't think he just cuts you off. He will take it away. The whole idea of the talents was when you didn't use that talent, what happened? He was able to keep it. Oh, no, you're on your own now. Too bad. But at least you have the talent. No, what did he do? He took it away and gave it to somebody who was using his talents. So that's us. We're stewards. We're going to be faithful. Lord, use us. And when he uses us and we're faithful, he'll continue using us. And those opportunities and those blessings will continue to grow. Another text that you're pretty familiar with lends the idea to the fifth thing that, that I consider to be a truth. And that is that we're going to be judged on a certain basis. And part of the basis upon which we are going to be judged is giving itself. You say, well, again, I thought like my salvation depends on my obedience to the gospel. It does. It does. But it isn't only that. How are you living your life as a child of God? Are you faithful? Because if you're not faithful and you've taken on the name of Jesus, uh-oh, don't know you. Don't know you. So what does this text say from Matthew chapter 25, verses 35 and 36? We'll not read that whole section, but just, the, just kind of the succinct part of it. Matthew 25, verses 35 and 36. Who will read that very quickly for us? Okay. Uh, when is it that we are operating for the Lord? We will set a special date. We're going to say, well, no, we're, going to have, uh, we're going to have an exercise of our stewardship next Saturday, beginning at one o'clock. And that will go from one to about three. It's a kind of come as you go. So come in your stewardship, act it, and then go on. And maybe we'll meet again next month. Is that how that works? No. When, when am I a steward of God? When is it that I am the conduit through which the blessings of God flow? When is it? It's today. It's every opportunity. It's always. It's always. Now, you're going to be faithful as a steward. You're going to use those opportunities to God's glory. It's not, you know, not me. And people, people will try to do that. People are very big about elevating uh, good deeds that they see. If somebody pats you on the back for some good that you've done, that's great. Be gracious about it. Say thank you. And then to God be the glory. 
Amen? Yes or no? We want God to receive the glory for this. And if somebody, if, if somebody only knows you by what you are, even better. They say, well, that's that Christian. That's that, that's that man or that woman over there from the Boonville Church of Christ. You know, I wish we all wore these logo shirts everywhere we went. They wouldn't need to know who you are, but they could glorify God through it if you did a good deed. Of course, now, if you're not doing good deeds, just kind of walk around like this, okay? Okay. Now, I'll tell you something else about giving, and that is it's good not just for those who receive. It's going to be good for you, too. It's good for us. You remember Acts chapter 20 and verse 35? What Actually, Paul tells us Jesus said. We don't have just those exact words quoted, red letter edition from the Gospels, but it is, I think it's in my translation, it's actually in red letters right there in that text. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, what did Jesus say? It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. To receive is kind of the end of the, end of the road, right? You've received, I've gotten the gift. When you give, what does God say he'll do for you? Luke 6, verse 38, right? He'll give it back, good measure, pressed down, running over. It will be given into your bosom, for with the measure that you use, it'll be measured back to you. So I'm, I'm just asking, uh, how big of a shovel or utensil are you going to use in the distribution of the goods that God's put into your hand? You're going to use a little spoon? Or are you going to use a big shovel? We say, Kim, we want to use a shovel. Okay, great. You know, that's all relative. When that woman gave her two mites, when that widow gave her two mites, what was she using, a spoon or a shovel? Yeah, that's not a trick. Well, it is kind of a trick question, I guess. I could have caught you there. It's a shovel because she gave all she had. I mean, it's like, and the people who were giving out of their abundance, what were they using? Little spoons, right? This ain't no big deal to me. So that's, that's got to be us. When the opportunity arises, we, we, look to meet, we look to meet that need. You know that giving is sowing? That's from 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 6. You remember that text? He who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's God's economy. You know what I mean when I say God's economy? That's the way he does it. That's, that's, that's his pattern of behavior. That's his world. In God's world, if you want to be great, you are where? You're the servant. You're low. If you're way up here, you want to be here, where does he put you? Down here. Same. You want to sow sparingly? Then don't expect to get anything out of it. You want to sow bountifully? What are you going to have? You're going to have great abundance. Okay, giving is also a demonstration to us that Jesus is in us. Why would that be true? Was Jesus a giver? Okay, I already made this bold statement. 
Jesus didn't just give some stuff. Jesus gave the ultimate. And then here's an important word. And sometimes we talk about sacrifice just in terms of his connection as being the Lamb of God. And that's true. That is a sacrifice. But Jesus truly sacrificed, gave up stuff for us. Why did they have to leave to come here? This, the glory of heaven? I mean, I, I, we, we can't even imagine what that might be to be in a position that God is in. But he left that willingly, which also, by the way, is how we're supposed to give, right? We're supposed to give in a willing fashion. So he gave up willingly to come and die and offer everything, his life for us. And then he was resurrected. What did God do to him? Yeah, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 and following. He gave him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus' action resulted in, in all that sacrifice and giving, not... It resulted in God's glory. When you do that, what's your expectation? That they'll name a building after you? Maybe a street, something like that. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, you ever drive around town and you see, like in my case, Forest Avenue. Well, they didn't name it after me, but I want to imagine that they did, right? I, I will tell you that when our kids were younger, they would see a sign like that. It might end up in the bedroom on the wall. That's probably illegal. You haven't heard that from me. I'm just saying as a hypothetical that could have happened. But that wasn't named after me. We might imagine what would it be like, you know, don't fall. Satan really wants to mess this up. Wouldn't this be, wouldn't this be awful? Here's an awful thing. You really committed yourself to this. You were a giver. You believed in that. And then just kind of got all called up in it and got used to all the acclaim. And before you know it, you turn something that was a sure expression of righteousness into something that became sin. Hypocrisy. What a shame that would be. Not to receive glory from God, but to be satisfied with the fleeting glory of men. That'd be too bad. Now, liberality, now we're talking about giving, but we're talking about excess or abundance. Liberality is the standard. That would be number nine in our list. Liberality is the standard of our giving. And I mentioned it a moment ago, so I'll just plug it here for just a second. That's Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Liberality. Was the widow liberal in her giving? as liberal as could be. Now, you know, I don't hear it as much anymore. Churches designated by different words. It used to be you couldn't hardly say the word liberal for fear somebody think you're a liberal church as, com as compared to a conservative church. But I was in a Bible class one time where someone was talking about giving and I said, yes, we need to be liberal givers. And just about every head turned toward me like, he said liberal. And I thought, 
Okay, I'm, I mean like a bountiful, <laughs> a bountiful giver. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 okay, yeah. That word can be used several ways. I'm not talking about our liberal agenda. I'm not talking about liberal theology. I'm talking about an abundance or an excess of our giving, of being willing to give even when it hurts, when it becomes, oh, here's that word connected with Jesus, when it becomes a sacrifice, a challenge for us to give. Liberality as a tenth point, I guess, kind of wrap that part up. Liberality is a sign of a growing church. Liberal giving, being more specific. Liberal giving is a sign of a growing church. And I don't necessarily mean numerical growth. I mean spiritual growth. Why would liberal giving be a sign of spiritual growth? Remember the text where we started here today? Okay, we're meeting the needs. We want to teach them. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. We are supposed to be growing in this grace also, right? So if we are liberal in our giving, if we're excessive in our giving, then that means as we're growing in that grace that we are growing. Starts with the S, ends with a Y. It is spiritually in it. Spiritually, yes. Okay. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. It's a very serious matter. Okay, time's up, looks like. So thank you so much. We'll finish uh, these thoughts next week, Lord willing. Let's have a quick prayer together and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for the blessing of this day and for this time that we can discuss liberal giving. Help us, Father, to be of the mind, not to use a spoon, but a shovel as we are distributing these things that you put into our hands to those who are in need. Thank you for the opportunity, and as much as our hearts long to do it, I pray that you'll give us the opportunities to exercise what we've learned. In Jesus' name, amen.